Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. This is Jen and it is so great to be with you guys again today. And wow, you know, sometimes when we cover content that is coming at us pretty quickly and I'm learning as I go, I I learn every day. It's just an amazing opportunity to delve into some of these big issues. And I wanted to talk about you know, last week, because we covered with the Google whistleblower what was going on behind the scenes. And as I went back and I listened to the show out of podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, you should go and do that. And you can access the show at WFMD.com backslash success happens. So if you haven't listened to that show, I highly recommend it because it was incredibly informative, but I had to process it. So I got home and I listened to it again. And I thought, you know what? I've held it that the insurrection happened on November 3rd. And I even said that with Liz Harrington a couple weeks ago on air. It happened on November 3rd when they changed the data and the voting in the election process. So there was election interference that occurred. But what I got out of the interview with Zach, it didn't happen on November 3rd. It started in 2017. As soon as people came out of their catatonic state and realized that Trump had won, right? Remember the tears and the pink hats and all of that nonsense, right? Google and other companies were so despondent that their candidate didn't win that they started mucking with information flow. And we learned about that from Zach. And you could say... That could be election interference. And if it is indeed election interference, it's illegal. So I'm speaking today with Ryan Hartwick, who is the Facebook whistleblower who came out in June of this year and released his book in mid-August. And his book is called Behind the Mask of Facebook. And he is a censorship expert and and a Facebook whistleblower, and apparently there are others. So we're learning a lot about the people who have been courageous to come forward and talk about what they know, what they've witnessed, and to tell the truth about what indeed is happening to our country and how we've gotten to where we are. And it has been strategic. It has been deceitful. It has been manipulative. And it has been, in many instances, illegal. Let's take a listen to Francis Haugen at the Senate hearing testifying as a whistleblower against Facebook. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook except Facebook. So good morning and welcome to Success Happens, Ryan. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jen. Yeah, my pleasure. First of all, how long were you with Facebook and what was your role there? I worked directly for Cognizant and Cognizant had a contract with Facebook for content moderation. So I started there in April of 2018 and I was there for just under two years through February of 2020. So my role was a content moderator. So I basically was trained on Facebook's policies, had to study their internal policies day in and day out and had to take decisions on on pieces of content one piece at a time. So I would get on my screen an, an image or a video or a post or a comment or a group, and I would have to determine if if that content violated the policies. And if it did, I would delete it for the right correct category, whether it was nudity or, or uh, terrorism. 
I could delete things for graphic violence or bullying or harassment or for hate speech. So that's what I did for two years. We had a three-year contract with Facebook. But yeah, you say something interesting because that, that's when the contract that with Cognizant started in 2017. Before, that, before 2016, there weren't many U.S.-based content moderators reviewing content. So Facebook shifted in their entire workforce to the U.S. after the 2016 election for, for content moderation. So you were hired to come in and basically deal with this. When did you see a shift in the policies or did you see a shift in the policies around hate speech? Yeah, a lot of it is hate speech. And so uh, the, the policies at Facebook, they're always shifting. They're always changing. I, I did see like an, more of an emphasis on hate speech. You know, they created a separate queue. So I had generally reviewed a mixed bag of content. So it, it was kind of random. So it could be on my screen like I could have nudity one second and then I could have hate speech the next second. But there was a separate queue and some of my coworkers were in a queue that just had hate speech. So they were trying to fine tune and, and their algorithms and the way that they searched and had their AI search for hate speech. But the policy itself, yeah, was very, very expansive. Um, and, you know, for example, if I say keep Canadians out of the United States for a long time, that was a violation. Like discussing immigration policy was very difficult because it would be considered hate speech. Um, and then leading up to the 2020 election, they modified their whole the whole civic, they call it the civic harassment queue, um, which basically had the effect of f- bringing more content into our queues that we would we would review. So we re- we were reviewing trends. So we were deleting content, but we were also like trend monitors. So we were identifying trends, political trends for Facebook. Um, so so yeah, hate speech was it it was a very big emphasis. And uh, in my book, Behind the Mask of Facebook, I, I talk about how they made exceptions to their own rules. So they have a hate speech policy. But if you're Don Lemon or Alyssa Milano or Greta Thunberg, the rules don't apply to you. So that's just a little bit of, of what I experienced. Um, but yeah, hate speech was was huge. And of course, it's very ambiguous. ambiguous. It's subjective. The people who, do, who make this policy, who change the rules, it's a global policy team based in San Francisco. Gotcha. So we have today Ryan Hardwick, who is our uh, Facebook whistleblower extraordinaire, who's sharing with us behind the mask of Facebook, his book, and literally what's going on behind the scenes. And so many of us became aware of it because, one, we were experiencing it. So there was this thing that emerged called fact checkers. Tell us about fact checkers, because when I went and did some searching, oftentimes um, some of the bigger name ones, now I know that some of these are bots or whatever, but bigger name ones were associated with liberal journalism colleges. So can you explain how that works and how do we fight the fact checkers if they're liberal leaning and they're they're being used for a particular uh, narrative, which you could call propaganda? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, fact checkers are a big part of of what Facebook spent money on. So with with content moderation alone, I mean, Facebook spending billions and billions of dollars to hire these U.S. based moderators. And they told us that they one of my managers said that they they hired all these U.S. based workers because there was Russian influence in the 2016 election. So they wanted a better handle on the election. Of course, that's after Trump won. So, you know, a similar thing, uh, I believe, happened with fact checking where they hired these these third-party outside companies, you know, similar to what I was doing because I was hired by a, uh, I was working directly for Cognizant. We were contracted, 
but yeah, fact checking is 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 a huge problem. I mean, we had you know Candace Owens filed a lawsuit against some of those companies, but but they're basically determining what's what stays on the on the platform and what does you know has to be removed. And really, they're just it's it's content. Really, you know, Facebook is trying to, imp- I guess, according to them, improve the quality of the content on Facebook, which is never never was a part of the the law of Section 230 that gave them the the authority to be a platform, without getting sued, right? So they they can restrict content that's lewd, lascivious, um, certain types of content, but they're they're not an information content provider. They they can't. You know, they say the whole publisher versus platform thing. So by by having fact checkers, they're basically curating content and and creating content and becoming a content developer, which they're not not allowed to by by law. Um, so is it so, your opinion yeah. that they have violated Section two thirty? Yes, on countless occasions. The, the since we're talking about that, I'll just go into this briefly. Yeah, Section 230 has been misinterpreted by the Ninth Circuit Court of California to give Facebook additional protections. So that good, the Good Samaritan provision says they have to do it in good faith. So I have with me here Ryan Harwick, and we're talking about Facebook behind the scenes. When you talk about Section 230, can you first explain that to people? Because a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. So Section 230 is, is from a law that passed in 1996 called the Communications Decency Act. Or the CDA. So the what the whole origin of it is there was a an online public an online news website, and some people were making comments. You know, you go on a website and you make comments in the comment section beneath the news article, and there was a lawsuit where they were getting sued and being held liable for these comments that were posted by different users. So the whole purpose of Section 230 was to protect give give immunity to these. Um, these uh, these websites, so that, to say, hey, you're not responsible for any, anything anybody posts as a, you know as a comment on your website because uh, you didn't put it there. So that was that was part of the origin of of Section 230, the Communications Decency Act from 1996. So let's tie that back then yeah. to at Facebook with fact checkers and with their uh, people like yourself who are either contracted or employees who are going in and yeah. sorting and sifting content, now they're starting to manipulate, mold, and shape the content to a particular narrative. They then become a content provider, do they not? Yeah, they be, yeah, they, be, they then become a content, information content provider, which is how the, the law, is the term, the phrase the law uses, or, or as we like to call it, like a publisher in, in essence. But yeah, if they're developing or, or boosting content or, uh, you know, prioritizing content in with their algorithm, then they're basically breaking the law uh, as it was written. Okay. So fast forward, there's been a number of people who've come forward about Facebook. At some point, people who worked for them said, you know what, this isn't okay. When did you have that moment? Before I even got hired, I didn't even know it was Facebook we would be working for. You know, I started in March of 2018. And it's funny because the month after I started there, um, Mark Zuckerberg testified in Congress that Facebook doesn't censor political speech. Uh, but that later that summer, I saw that, that uh, Facebook deleted this viral video of a Trump supporter being attacked. So it was, a, it was a video that would create empathy and sympathy for Trump supporters. And Facebook told us to delete the entire video 
every instance of the video every every time it came up. So that was like one of my the first inklings that that caught my attention. And also that same summer during Pride Month, Facebook gave an exception to allow hate speech against straight white males, and it's okay to call them filth for not supporting LGBT. So those were a couple of things early on that kind of caught my attention. Not until about 2019 did I really start writing down these examples of bias and, and Facebook breaking the rules. But those are the first two examples that really caught my attention. So once you came out as a whistleblower, were you protected? I contacted Project Veritas and reached out to them, and then I volunteered to film with a hidden camera. So once I went public um, in June of 2020, Project Veritas did have, you know, they did have my back as far as legal protections. That was helpful. Um, you know, Facebook's a very large company, and I fortunately haven't received any, you know, legal threats from them. But yeah, I, w- I did receive, you know, protection from from Project Veritas. I don't believe I qualified for the federal whistleblower protection because mainly that's for government employees. But that modified. We were looking at that law, and that was modified to accommodate people such as yourself in the private sector. I'm not an attorney, but I believe that based on what I've studied, it, it is the case. Everybody, you're listening to Success Happens. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. KW Photography and Design, a great graphic designer and web designer. And also, I'd like to thank Flamingo Pool Supply. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Ryan Hartwick, who is the author of Behind the Mask of Facebook. Ryan came out as a whistleblower and uh, worked with Project Veritas um, and I look forward to spending time with them. That is an interview I really want to do. Those people have been heroic in terms of bringing people like Ryan and your information to the foreground so that people can understand what's going on in the background. Let me ask you this. Was there a time when you were worried about coming out as a whistleblower? Yeah, it was a very big life decision for me. The company I was working for, Cognizant, it's a Fortune 200 company. It's a very good company. So I could, had good health benefits. It was decent pay. So it was a discussion my wife had on multiple occasions where, you know, look, I, by my filming and going forward with this, I was risking my, my career. The way it happened, that even though the project ended, so Cognizant ended the contract with Cognizant with Facebook prematurely. So we all got laid off. But I could have stayed with with Cognizant. Let's back up for a second. Let me ask you that. Maybe you can talk about it. Maybe you can't. Did Cognizant realize that what was going on was not okay? That some lines had been crossed? I mean, Facebook was the client, so we were trying to make them happy, right? And they were paying us good money. You were a contractor at Facebook, and you mentioned that they canceled their contract early. So my question to you is, and maybe you can talk about it, maybe you can't, but was that something based on they saw what Facebook was doing and it wasn't okay with them as a company and they decided it was best to remove them from Facebook? Yeah, there's public information about why Cognizant chose to end that contract. There was uh, an article that came out while I was there from The Verge discussing the mental health implications and effect on the workers. This was out of their wheelhouse. It wasn't something they specialize in. They had to change the leadership with a new CEO, and they were basically just trimming the fat and saving money on different things. And those are the reasons publicly they gave. You know, it's not something that's in their in their wheelhouse. Uh, some of us believe that there may have been some negative PR from 
the Verge article about Cognizant, and so that may have been a reason why they they chose to cut ties early. Yeah, it's never good when your customers breaking the law and you're participating. It's like you know, I I don't think we need that business. Would be you know probably a pretty good decision. Anyway, going back to Facebook then and looking at Section Two Thirty. At some point, I believe there's going to need to be legislation that holds these companies to account for that the public-facing freedom of speech that we all have the right to based on our Constitution. And yeah. if we don't hold them to account, we run, run the risk of nullifying our freedom of speech because we're letting them get away with this. Yeah, I mean um... – that's a that's a very good point. I mean, we need to stand up for our freedom of speech, and you know, it's interesting because this week we had that whistleblower come forward, Frances Haugen, and her argument is, you know, Facebook's placing profits over public safety. Now, it's fascinating that she uses the term public safety because a lot of the argument from the left is, or from other people, is, oh, well, Facebook can do whatever they want; they're a private company. But now they're saying, oh, now they're trying to protect the public safety. We can have social media we enjoy that connects us without tearing our democracy, apart our democracy, putting our children in danger, and sowing ethnic violence around the world. We can do better. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. Now, now we're talking about equal access. If if you go, you gonna get onto a public bus, they can't discriminate against you because of your political views and say you can't get on the bus because of your politics. So, if we were to view Facebook like that, more of like a public utility, then that means we'd have to protect freedom of speech on the on the internet on Facebook, which is crucial. And so, uh, you know, this whistleblower Frances Haugen, her argument is there needs to be more censorship. Facebook's not doing enough to protect people. Uh, and, that, and that translates into, as we've seen and as, as I've documented, greater censorship of conservatives. But, you know, this freedom of speech needs to apply to both sides. It needs to apply on the left and the right. So I'm not for censoring people on the left either. I think everyone should have that right to express themselves. And, and Section 230 is crucial that it be applied correctly and that we preserve um, our freedoms in, in the public square. Well said. I happen to think I've come to the conclusion that this Frances Haugen may I think she may have been put forward to help them shift the narrative in their favor, because it, it I don't think it back to what you said. I don't think it comports with the issues which are freedom of speech is freedom of speech. You know, when right. people are burning the flag, they're protected as much as I abhor that they're burning the flag. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to do that. Yeah. Why on earth are they presenting conservatives as dangerous because they have a particular commitment to the Constitution, to the freedom of speech, to wearing a red MAGA hat in public? I mean, mm-hmm. where on earth are they allowed to make these people dangerous in the yeah. public opinion, when you have control over public thoughts and communication, you have a tremendous responsibility. 
And they have violated the basic principles of honoring communication among people that, you know, if I don't like what you say, I can be able to say I don't like what you say. And by the way, if you get offended, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I and if I get offended that you're offended, that's on me. So we have to start dealing with ourselves and our own communication responsibilities. And it does not allow for imposing certain political views. And and that's what they've done. And I think that it's very clear that they're still doing it. I mean, I just went on to try and uh, do something the other day. In fact, it was on the children defense I sent to you and they the video's down. So if we want to talk about you can't poke our kids or if we want to talk about the issues around we're unhappy with what's going on with our boards of elections across the country or our boards of education across the country, you choose to censor that or shut that content down so that people cannot search it, find it or share it on Facebook. That's Gestapo stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, the the uh, some of the Facebook whistleblowers arguments, Francis Haugen, uh, a lot of her argument was that uh, basically Facebook was complicit in January 6th. And looking at that, I mean, I talk about this in my book and behind the mask of Facebook, how as far back as 2017, Facebook chose not to classify Antifa as a hate org. Neither did they classify BLM, Black Lives Matter as a hate org. And so if they're saying they're trying to argue that that Facebook was used to organize a mass protest, it's used for a lot of different purposes, including, you know, it was used by Antifa and BLM. They didn't censor BLM. No, they never censored Antifa or BLM. The opposite happened. They they gave us call outs to look for, you know, hate speech coming from Trump's State of the Union address. And so it's it's a clear double standard. And the key thing is, like, the Internet's going to be used to organize people to meet up in person. Like, that's just going to happen. So... Are you going to prevent any kind of meetups because there's a potential for violence? But yeah, clearly BLM had violent protests and they were using Facebook to organize. So yeah, why the double standard? And that, that's the key theme of my book is this double standard where Trump supporters' speech is, is treated differently than, than people on the left. And uh, anything Trump says is pretty much hate speech and we have to flag it. So it's really sickening to see double standard and how Facebook is prioritizing certain political speech over other speech. Here's another cut of Francis Haugen at the Senate hearing. We can afford nothing less than full transparency. As long as Facebook is operating in the shadows, hiding its research from public scrutiny, it is unaccountable. Until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. There are people out there right now who know things in the different institutions and and settings where you are that you know aren't right. And if you have the ability, the courage, the inclination to come out as a whistleblower, I encourage you to do that. Right now, we need people out there to come forward with the truth. If you see something, say something. All right. And you can always email me at jennifer at charltoncommunications.com. So I'm talking with Ryan Hartwick, and he wrote the book uh, Behind the Mask of Facebook. Where can people find your book? If you go to uh, my website, ryanhartwig.org slash book, you can find the link there. Uh, it's it's also on it's on Amazon as well, Barnes & Noble, 
bookshop.org. So it's it's everywhere on the internet, but you can also yeah, you can also get a copy or find a link through my website, ryanhartwig.org slash book. We're going to take a quick break for news and weather. We'll be right back on Free Talk 930 WFMD. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Ryan Hartwick, and he is the author of Behind the Mask of Facebook. He is a an expert on censorship at Facebook, their policies, their practices, their procedures on how they censored conservatives in favor of the Democrat establishment is what I guess I'd say. And I wanted to ask you, Ryan, why did you write the book? Yeah, I wrote the book because I felt like it was my civic duty. I feel like Americans have, have need the opportunity to understand what's going on behind the scenes of Facebook. Uh, when I went public with Project Veritas, we gave a few examples of, of Facebook censorship. And then I had so much footage that I, I went through and I documented it all and transcribed it all. And I ended up getting about more than 40 examples of what Facebook is doing, ranging from abortion to immigration to, to hate speech to how they treat race. I just feel like it was my duty to let the public know, let Americans know what Facebook is really doing behind the scenes. Got it. So when you talk about abortion, give us an example. What did they do with regard to the subject matter abortion? Yeah, so we would we would mark imagery that was violent, you know, or we would mark imagery that had a violent death in it a certain way. And we would also treat humans a certain way, like if people are making a joke about humans or tragic, uh, you know, violent deaths. And so Facebook came out and said publicly to us, to our moderators, they said that uh, abortion is not considered a violent death. Fetuses are not considered human. And so that had an impact on how we would uh, action content. So we, for example, if there was a joke about fetus soup, we couldn't delete that or mark it as uh, cruel because fetuses are not considered human. So basically fetuses are not a protected category under Facebook's policies. So people can openly advocate for killing a a baby slash fetus on, on the Facebook, and that's allowed. However, I believe they have censored content about human trafficking and the horror of it so that that has been squelched. Is that accurate? Yeah, so we had a policy against human smuggling and trafficking. But what's fascinating is although they prohibit like a coyote or a smuggler from soliciting people, they allow a victim to be smuggled. So if I, if I want to be smuggled, I can literally say on Facebook, I want to be human smuggled, and Facebook allows that. It's straight from their, their policy. Yeah, there are a lot of things that go on. It, it, I'm sure it's hard, hard to detect everything. They, they haven't done enough to prevent uh, human trafficking and smuggling on their platform. They also allow you to discuss ways to evade the Border Patrol. So you can say, oh, the night shift of the Border Patrol leaves at midnight. So you're openly attempting to evade federal law enforcement, and Facebook allows that kind of behavior. It begs the question, doesn't that make them complicit in the act? You know, there's an argument for that. It makes us think about what their role is and, and what, yeah, if, if they are complicit or not. You know, they're enforcing hate speech, which is not a crime in the United States. There's no law against hate speech. So they're enforcing their own, making up their own rules. So the very least, the bare minimum, they should try to mirror and enforce laws that are already in the book, federal laws like crossing an international border. Yeah, well, I would argue that they may be complicit in the act if indeed they're allowing that to go on their platform. There is something, there is a there there. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I, I just smell a rat. So so the the Facebook whistleblower from 60 Minutes this week, Frances Haugen, she talks about how 
teenagers on Instagram are, are not protected and it's dangerous for teenagers. Um, and there's you know, eating disorders and suicide. And, um, you know, it's important to protect the children. And that, that was part of the, the reason for uh, Section 230 was to protect children from the Internet, which is kind of an imp- impossible task nowadays. But in my book, uh, Behind the Mask of Facebook, I talk about how Facebook made an exception for child abuse. So we would delete videos of child abuse. So if there's a adult hitting a child repeatedly. We would delete it. Let me ask something. Did they report it to the authorities? That's a good question uh, as far as reporting child abuse to the authorities. I, I'm not positive what the process was for reporting it. I know there were other issues. If there's, if there's an ongoing crime that we were watching a live video of, we would have a way to escalate that to law enforcement. But let's say it's videotape in- content or it's pictures, images. Did you all report that? I, I personally did not escalate those to law enforcement or escalate it to Facebook to escalate to law enforcement. So, no, I didn't have any knowledge of that being escalated to, to law enforcement. Was there a policy not to do so? Uh, there, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of any explicit policy where they said, do not send this to law enforcement. All of the law enforcement issues were handled directly between Facebook and law enforcement. We, and we also enforced child pornography, and that we did have to report and that was documented. But another just tragic example is, is that Facebook gave an, an exception for child pornography in Brazil where they had a, a children's music album cover that had child pornography. And Facebook said to allow it because it had artistic value. Yeah, uh, Facebook made an exception to allow child pornography because they said it had artistic value. Outrageous. Outrageous. And yet they, they make us conservatives out to be these bandits. It's outrageous. Everyone, you're listening to Success Happens, and I have with me today Ryan Hartwick. Now, Ryan, one of the things I've been trying to encourage is that people know things, whether they're in educational institutions, they're working in uh, boards of education, maybe they're in a school system where they see things that are going on uh, around the whole CRT and influencing the education of our children or in the medical profession around people who have been vaccinated and who are incurring or have experienced harmful outcomes as a result of that vax. We need people now to come forward with the truth. So as a whistleblower, first of all, and you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, you had some concerns about it, you and your wife talked about it, but would you recommend that people consider coming forward, it's risky. You had to relocate your career. Mm -hmm. Would you do it again? Uh, Yeah, I would do it again. Uh, It it has been quite the experience. I mean, I had that stable job and, you know, my my experience is a little bit unique because I wasn't fired like some of the other other whistleblowers like Morgan Kaman, another Facebook whistleblower with Project Veritas. He was he was let go. And also, you know, Zachary McElroy was another whistleblower at Cognizant who went public at the same time as me. Cassandra Spencer, um, she also lost her job. So we were all let go at the same time. But, you know, yeah, it affects your career. It affects your, your life in a big way, and especially with the family. Now we have a, a little baby. But, yeah, it is 100% worth it. I mean, just I've been able to do over 160 interviews in the last year. What I uncovered led to a criminal referral to the DOJ for Mark Zuckerberg. I also helped with an, F, an FEC election complaint against Facebook in Michigan. So, yeah, it's 100% worth it if you're see, seeing something – Shady. I mean, we got to fight for our liberties right now, especially with medical medical tyranny. 
And you can reach out to Project Veritas. It's veritastips at protonmail.com. Everybody, it's going to take ordinary people like us speaking up to cause an extraordinary shift in the world that we're living in right now because I know that a lot of people are worried. Things aren't going the way we want it to go. This is not the America we know and love. We're under attack in so many ways. And when big tech attacks our ability to speak the truth and to unveil what's going on behind the scenes, when companies like Facebook and Google take control of our communications and decide what we can hear, what we can see, what we can consume, they then are manipulating public opinion. And when that happens in the middle of an election, that is election interference. And we need to take this stuff very seriously because otherwise your vote and my vote makes no difference. And that's that's the crux of this, you guys. So, Ryan, thank you so much for being a hero. Thank you for for standing up to establishment, bureaucratic big tech. That was awesome. And I applaud you and many millions of people applaud you. Truly, thank you so much. And I and I appreciate your wife saying, go for it, you know, because behind us is our partner saying, I believe in you, we'll be okay. So tell us again your book and where we can find it. Yeah. So the book is Behind the Mask of Facebook, A Whistleblower's Shocking Story of Big Tech Bias and Censorship. I co-wrote with my co-author, Kent Heckenlively. Yeah, you can find it anywhere where books are sold, or you can find it a link through my website. So go to ryanhartwig.org slash book, and Hartwig is H-A-R-T-W-I-G, ryanhartwig.org slash book. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Appreciate you, and I look forward to having you back on. If you ever have any updates, you always have an opportunity to speak here on Success Happens. Have a great week. Thanks. You too. You've been listening to Success Happens, and my guest today has been Ryan Hartwick, the whistleblower who came out against Facebook and revealed the truth about what was going on behind the scenes. And we're so grateful for his courage. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Success Happens on Free Talk 930 WFMD. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. KW Photography and Design and Flamingo Pool Supply. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and thank you so much for being with us this week and listening to this information about whistleblowers and what it's like to be inside witnessing what's going on and being really in a conundrum because one's integrity says, if I don't say something and I see this, am I part of the problem? And we heard that last week with Zach when he talked about what it was like to be inside Google and to witness what was going on. And he absolved himself, if you will, by coming forward and letting people know that this was going on and that it wasn't okay. And by taking a stand for what's right, we have the opportunity to be a part of the solution. And right now we've got plenty of problems that we can go to work on and be a part of that solution. So right now you're seeing people all across the country stand up. I'm amazed at parents who are coming forward 
and they're going to the Board of Education meetings and they're saying, you know what, it's not okay that this is going on. It's not okay that you're putting us in a position of a secondary uh, position of authority while you make decisions for the health and well-being of our children. So it is a time of standing up. Lee Dundas has said that over and over again. It's a time to stand up and to resist the authority that is imposed that exceeds their responsibility. I'm not advocating breaking the law, but I am advocating standing up for your constitutional rights and the health and well-being of your, your, your family, yourself. And we have abdicated in a lot of ways that responsibility for so long. And here we are. So at least finally now we're standing up and we're saying, you know what? Wait a second. I don't like what you're teaching my children. And I have something to say about that. Or I don't like that you think you know better for the health and well-being of my child or myself than I do. It's simply not okay. So as we go forward this week, think about how can we take control of our future and do so in a way that is within the boundaries of the law, within our constitutional rights, and it's in concert with our community. We're not being irresponsible toward one another, but we are being people who are saying, you know what, we can work together, we can love each other, we can respect one another, or not but we don't have to give up our rights to do so. And lastly, I want to say something about this notion that if we don't comply, we're somehow selfish. Not so. We can be the most kind and generous and giving people without Again, abdicating our personal rights, responsibilities, safety, and well-being decisions to a greater authority that deems themselves to know better than we do. So that's it, everybody. Have a great week. You've been listening to Success Happens. Again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. KW Photography and Design. Kara Wynn does a great job with web design and graphics as well as Flamingo Pool Supply. If you're closing up your pool this time of year, They're there to help you. Have a great week.